Hey, it's Brian, and by the time this episode arrives, there will be just 10 days left until Christmas. I don't know about you, but at this point in the season, I'm wondering where all the time went, and how I can slow down and savor the time left. I hope you've been having a wonderful season so far, and that for the rest of the countdown to Christmas, your days are filled with plans involving the sights and sounds and flavors of the season, surrounded by the people you love. And when it comes to the sounds, I'm here to help with another episode featuring some classic Christmas fiction. It's been uncharacteristically rainy and chilly these last several days here at Christmas Past Headquarters, and there's nothing quite like feeling warm and dry and cozy on days like this and snuggling up with a good Christmas story. And as much as I love revisiting my favorite stories year after year, I also love finding new favorites by exploring the vast trove of stories from Christmas Past. And today, I'm inviting you to do it with me. Today's story is The Christmas Fairy, an 1878 story by John Strange Winter. It's a story for the whole family about a schoolboy whose plans for Christmas take an unexpected turn. I'll be back at the end to wrap up and say goodbye. But for now, let's get nice and cozy and enjoy The Christmas Fairy. It was getting very near to Christmas time, and all of the boys at Miss Ware's school were talking excitedly about going home for the holidays, of the fun they would have, the presents they would receive on Christmas morning, the tips from grannies, uncles, and aunts, of the pantomimes, the parties, the never-ending joys and pleasures which would be theirs. "'I shall go to Madame Tussauds and to the Drury Lane pantomime,' said young fellows." And my mother will give a party, and Aunt Adelaide will give another, and Johnny Sanderson, and Mary Graville, and ever so many others. I shall have a splendid time at home. Oh, Jim, I wish it were all holidays like this when one's grown up. Uncle Bob is going to give me a pair of skates, clippers, remarked Harry Wadham. My father's going to give me a bike, put in George Alderson. Will you bring it back to school? asked Harry. Oh, yes, I should think so, if Miss Wares doesn't say no. "'I say, Shivers,' cried Fellows, "'where are you going to spend the holidays?' "'I'm going to stop here,' answered the boy called Shivers, in a very forlorn tone. "'Here? With old Ware? Oh, my! Why can't you go home?' "'I can't go home to India,' said Shivers. His real name, by the by, was Egerton, Tom Egerton. "'No, who said you could, but haven't you any relations anywhere?' Shivers shook his head. "'Only in India,' he said miserably. Poor old chap, that's rough luck for you. Oh, I'll tell you what it is, you fellows. If you couldn't go home for the holidays, especially at Christmas, I think I'd just sit down and die. Oh, no, you wouldn't, said Shivers. You'd hate it and you'd get ever so homesick and miserable, but you wouldn't die over it. You'd just get through somehow and hope something would happen before next year or that some kind of fairy or other would. Bosh, there are no fairies nowadays, said fellows. See here, Shivers, I'll write home and ask my mother if she won't invite you to come back with me for the holidays. Will you? Really? Yes, I will. And if she says yes, we shall have such a splendid time because, you know, we live in London and we go to everything and have heaps of tips and parties and fun. Perhaps you'll say no, suggested poor little Shivers, who had steeled himself to the idea that there would be no Christmas holidays for him, excepting that he would have no lessons for so many weeks. My mother isn't at all the kind of woman who says no, fellows declared loudly. In a few days' time, however, a letter arrived from his mother, which he opened eagerly. My own darling boy, it said, I am so very sorry to have to tell you that dear little Aggie is down with scarlet fever, and so you cannot come home for your holidays, nor yet bring your young friend with you, as I would have loved you to do, as if all had been well here. 
Your Aunt Adelaide would love to have you there, but her two girls have got Scarlatina, and I believe Aggie got hers there, though of course poor Aunt Adelaide could not help it. I did think about your going to Cousin Rachel's. She's most kindly offered to invite you, but, dear boy, she's an old lady, and so particular, and not used to boys. And she lives so far from anything which is going on that you would be able to go to nothing. So your father and I came to the conclusion that the very best thing that you could do under the circumstances is for you to stay at Miss Ware's and for us to send your Christmas to you as well as we can. It won't be like being at home, darling boy, but you will try to be happy, won't you? And make me feel that you are helping me in this dreadful time. Dear little Aggie is very ill, very ill indeed. We have two nurses. Nora and Connie are shut away in the morning room and to the back stairs and to their own rooms with Miss Ellis and have not seen us since the dear child has first taken ill. Tell your young friend that I am sending you a hamper from Boussards with double of everything, and I am writing to Miss Ware to ask her to take you both to anything that may be going on in Crosshampton, and tell him that it makes me so much happier to think that you won't be alone. Your own mother. This letter will smell queer, darling. It will be fumigated before posting. It must be owned that when Bertie Fellows received this letter, which was neither more nor less than a shattering of all his Christmas hopes and joys, that he fairly broke down, and hiding his face upon his arms as they rested on the desk, sobbed aloud. The forlorn boy from India, who sat next to him, tried every boyish means of consolation that he could think of. He patted his shoulder, whispered many pitying words, and at last flung his arm across him and hugged him tightly, as, poor little chap, he himself many times since his arrival in England had wished someone would do to him. At last, Bertie Fellows thrust his mother's letter into his friend's hand. Read it, he sobbed. So Shivers made himself master of Mr. Fellows' letter and understood the cause of the boy's outburst of grief. Old fellow, he said at last, don't fret over it. It might be worse. Why, you might be like me, with your father and mother thousands of miles away. When Aggie is better, you'll be able to go home, and it'll help your mother if she thinks that you are almost as happy as if you were home. It must be worse for her. She has cried ever so over this letter. See, it's all tear blots. The troubles and disappointments of youth are bitter while they last, but they soon pass, and the sun shines again. By the time Miss Ware, who was a kind-hearted, sensible, pleasant woman, came to tell Fellows how sorry she was for him and his disappointment, the worst had gone by, and the boy was resigned to what could not be helped. Well, after all, one man's meat is another man's poison, she said, smiling down on the two boys. Poor Tom had been looking forward to spending his holidays all alone with us, and now he will have a friend with him. Try to look on the bright side, Bertie, and to remember how much worse it would have been if there had been no boy to stay with you. I can't help being disappointed, Miss Ware, said Bertie, his eyes filling afresh and his lips quivering. No, dear boy, you would be anything but a nice boy if you were not. But I want you to try to think of your poor mother, who is full of trouble and anxiety, and to write her a letter as brightly as you can and tell her not to worry about you more than she can help. Yes, said Bertie. But he turned his head away, and it was evident to the schoolmistress that his heart was too full to let him say more. Still, he was a good boy, Bertie Fellows, and when he wrote home to his mother, it was quite a bright everyday kind of letter, telling her how sorry he was about Aggie and detailing a few of the ways in which he and Shivers meant to spend their holidays. His letter ended thus. Shivers got a letter from his mother yesterday with three pounds in it. If you happen to see Uncle Dick, will you tell him that I want a Waterberry dreadfully? 
The last day of the term came, and one by one, or two by two, the various boys went away until at last only Bertie Fellows and Shivers were left in the great house. It had never seemed so large to either of them before. The schoolroom seemed to have grown to about the size of a church. The dining room, set now with only one table instead of three, was not like the same, while the dormitory, which had never before had any room to spare, was like a wilderness. To Bertie Fellows it was all dreary and wretched. To the boy from India, who knew no other house in England, no other thought came than that it was a blessing that he had one companion left. It is miserable, groaned poor Bertie as they strolled into the great echoing schoolroom after a lonely tea, set at one corner of the smallest of the three dining tables. Just think if we had been on our way home now, how different. Just think if I had been left here all by myself, said Shivers, and he gave a shiver which fully justified his name. Yes, but, began Bertie, then shamefacedly and with a blush added, you know, when one wants to go home ever so badly, one never thinks that some chaps haven't got a home to go to. The evening went by. Discipline was relapsed entirely, and the two boys went to bed in the top empty dormitory and told stories to each other for a long time before they went to sleep. That night, Bertie Fellows dreamt of Madame Tussauds and the great pantomime at Drury Lane, and poor shivers of a long creeper-covered bungalow far away in the shining east, and they both cried a little under their bedclothes. Yet each put a brave face on their desolate circumstances to the other, and so another day began. This was the day before Christmas Eve, that delightful day of preparation for the greatest festival in all the year. The day when in most households there were many little mysteries afoot, when parcels come and go and are smothered away so as to be ready when Santa Claus comes his rounds. When some are busy decking the rooms with holly and mistletoe, when the cook is busiest of all, and savory smells rise from the kitchen, telling of good things to be eaten on the morrow. There were some preparations on foot at Minchin House, though there was not the same bustle and noise as is to be found in a large family. And quite early in the morning came the great hamper of which Mrs. Fellows had spoken in her letter to Bertie. Then, just as the early dinner had come to an end, and Miss Ware was telling the two boys that she would take them round the town to look at the shops, there was a tremendous peal at the bell of the front door, and a voice was heard asking for Master Egerton. In a trice, Shivers had sprung to his feet, his face quite white, his hands trembling, and the next moment the door was thrown open and a tall, handsome lady came in, to whom he flew with a sobbing cry of, Aunt Laura! Aunt Laura! Aunt Laura explained, in less time than it takes me to write this, that her husband, Colonel Desmond, had left him a large fortune, and that they had come as soon as possible to England, having in fact only arrived in London the previous day. I was so afraid, Tom darling, she said in ending, that we should not get here till Christmas was over, and I was so afraid you might be disappointed that I would not let Mother tell you we were on our way home. I have brought a letter from Mother to Miss Ware, and you must get your things packed up at once and come back with me by the six o'clock train to town. Then Uncle Jack and I will come and take you everywhere and give you a splendid time, you dear little chap here all by yourself. For a minute or two, Shiver's face was radiant. Then he caught sight of Bertie's down-drooped mouth and turned to his aunt. Dear Aunt Laura, he said, holding her hand very fast in his own, I'm awfully sorry, but I can't go. Can't go? Why not? Because I can't go and leave fellows here all alone, he said stoutly, though he could scarcely keep a suspicious quaver out of his voice. When I was going to be alone, fellows wrote and asked his mother to let me go home with him. And she couldn't because his sister has scarlet fever, and they daren't have either of us, and he's got to stay here. 
And he's never been away at Christmas before, and, and I can't go away and leave him all by himself, Aunt Laura, and... For a space of about a moment or so, Mrs. Desmond stared at the boy, as if she could not believe her ears. Then she caught hold of him and half-smothered him with kisses. "'Bless you, dear little chap. You shall not leave him. You shall bring him along, and we'll all enjoy ourselves together. What's his name? Bertie Fellows?' "'Bertie, my man, you are not very old yet, so I am going to teach you a lesson as well as I ever can. It is that kindness is never wasted in this world. I'll go out now and telegraph to your mother. I don't suppose she'll refuse to let you come with us?' A couple of hours later, she returned in triumph, waving a telegram to the two excited boys. "'God bless you, yes, with all our hearts,' it ran. "'You have taken a load off our minds.' And so, Birdie Fellows and Shivers found that there was such a thing as a fairy after all. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I sure hope you enjoyed that. It pains me to say this, but we're actually starting to wind down for the season. Don't worry, there's still plenty more Christmas fun to come between now and the big day, and that also means that there's still plenty of time for you to share a Christmas memory to appear in one of our remaining episodes. Just record yourself speaking into your phone's voice memo app and send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Just keep it reasonably short, clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. I'll be back again before you know it with another episode. Until then, let me remind you that Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Stay connected all season long and beyond. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and join our private Christmas Past Facebook group if you haven't yet. And if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover the show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card as my way of saying thanks. Reach out for details on that. And until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright. <laughs>